Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book called The Private Key to Heaven by Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks was the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. He's giving us 20 arguments for private prayer. We've done six of them. Let's go on to number seven. Seventhly, consider the time of this life is the only time for private prayer. Heaven will admit of no secret prayer. In heaven there will be no secret sins to trouble us, nor no secret needs to pinch us, nor no secret temptations to betray us, uh, no secret snares to entangle us, no secret enemies to supplant us. We had need live much in the practice of that duty here on earth, that we shall never be exercised in it after death. Uh, some duties that are incumbent upon us now, as praising of God, admiring of God, exalting and lifting up of God, joying and delighting God, will be forever incumbent upon us in heaven. But this duty of private prayer, we must take our leaves of when we come to lay our heads in the dust. Number eight, the efficacy of secret prayer. Eighthly, consider the great prevalence or success of secret prayer. Private prayer is the gate of heaven, a key to let us into paradise. Oh, the great things that private prayer hath done with God. Oh, the great mercies that have been obtained by private prayer. And oh, the great threatenings that have been diverted by private prayer. And oh, the great judgments that have been removed by private prayer. And oh, the great judgments that have been prevented by private prayer. I have read of a malicious woman who gave herself to the devil, provided that he would do a mischief to such a neighbor whom she mortally hated. The devil went again and again to do his errand, but at last he returned and told her that he could do no hurt to that man, for whenever he came he found him either reading the scriptures or at private prayer. Private prayers pierce the heavens and are commonly blessed and loaded with gracious and glorious returns from thence. While Hezekiah was praying and weeping in private, God sent the prophet Isaiah to him to assure him that his prayer was heard, and that his tears were seen, and that he would add unto his days fifteen years. And so when Isaac was all alone meditating and praying and treating with God for a good wife in the fields, he meets Rebekah. And so Jacob, Jacob was left alone, it says, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, uh, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let you go, except you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Well, in this scripture we have an elegant description of a duel fought between the Almighty and Jacob. And in it there are these things most observable. First, the combatants. First we have the, the combatants or the duelists, Jacob and God, who appeared in the shape or appearance of a man. He that is here said to be a man was the Son of God in human shape, as it appeareth by the whole narration and by Hosea 12. 
Now, that this man that wrestled with Jacob was indeed God and not really man is most evident by these reasons. First, Jacob desires a blessing from him. Now, it is God's prerogative, royal, to bless, and not angels nor men's. And secondly, he calls him by the name of God. As a prince hast thou power with God, it says, and saith Jacob, I have seen God face to face. Not that he saw the majesty and essence of God, for no man can see the essential glory of God and live. But he saw God more apparently, more manifestly, more gloriously than ever he had done before. Some created shape, some glimpse of glory Jacob saw, whereby God was pleased for the present to testify his more immediate presence, but not himself. Thirdly, the same person that here Jacob wrestles with is he whom Jacob remembereth in his benediction as his deliverer from all evil. It was that God that appeared to him at Bethel when he fled from the face of his brother. Fourthly, Jacob is reproved for his curious inquiring or asking after the angel's name, which is a clear argument or demonstration of his majesty and glory, God being above all notion and name. God is a supersubstantial substance. That means he's above or transcending all substance or being. He's an understanding not to be understood, a word never to be spoken. One being asked what God was, answered that he must be God himself, for because he, he could know God fully, before he could know God fully. We are as well able to comprehend the sea in a cockle shell as we're able to comprehend the Almighty, or that majestic name, as Tertullian phrases it. In searching after God, said Chrysostom, I'm like a man digging in a deep spring. I stand here, and the water rises upon me, and I stand there, and still the water rises upon me. In this conflict, you have not one man wrestling with another, not one man wrestling with a created angel, but a poor, weak, mortal man wrestling with an immortal God. Uh, weakness, wrestling with strength, and a finite being with an infinite being. Though Jacob had no second, though he was all alone, though he was wonderfully overmatched, yet he wrestles and keeps his hold, and all in the strength of him that he wrestled with. Well, next, the place of combat. We have the combatants, now the place of combat. You have the place where they combated. That was beside the ford Jabak. This is the name of a brook or river springing by Rabbah, the metropolitan, uh, sorry, the metropolis of the Ammonites, and is issuing into Jordan beneath the Sea of Galilee. Jacob did never enjoy so much of the presence of God as when he had left the company of men. All oh, the sweet communion that Jacob had with God when he was retired from his family and was all alone with his God by the ford Jabbok. Certainly Jacob was never less alone than at this time, when he was so alone. Saints often meet with the best wine and with the strongest cordials when they're all alone with God. Next, the time of combat. Thirdly, you have the time of the combat. That was the night. At what time of the night this wrestling, this duel began, we nowhere read, but it lasted until break of day. It lasted until Jacob had the better of the angel. How many hours of the night this conflict lasted, no mortal man can tell. God's design was that none should be spectators nor witnesses of this combat, but Jacob only, 
and therefore Jacob must be wrestling when others were sleeping. And the ground of the quarrel? Fourthly, you have the ground of the quarrel. That was uh, Jacob's fear of Esau and his importunate desire for a blessing. Jacob flies to God that he might not fall before man. He flies to God that he might not fly before men. And in a storm, there is no shelter like the wing of God. He is safest and happiest and wisest that lays himself under divine protection. This Jacob knew, and therefore he runs to God and to his only city of refuge. In this conflict, God would have given out, Let me go, for the day breaketh. But Jacob keeps his hold and tells him boldly to his very face that he would not let him go unless he would bless him. Oh, the power of private prayer. It hath a kind of omnipotence in it. It takes captive. It holds him as a prisoner. It binds the hands of the Almighty. Yea, it will wring a mercy, a blessing, out of the hand of heaven itself. Oh, the power of that prayer that makes a man victorious over the greatest, the highest power. Jacob, though a man, a single man, a traveling man, a tired man, yea, though a worm that is easily crushed and trodden underfoot, and no man, yet in private prayer he is so potent that he overcomes, as it were, the omnipotent God. He is so mighty that he overcomes the Almighty, seemingly. And then next, the nature. Fifthly, you have the nature or a manner of the combat. And that was both outward and inward, both corporal and spiritual. It was by might and flight. It was as well by the strength of his body as it was by the force of his faith. He wrestled not only with spiritual strugglings, tears, and prayers, but with corporal also, wherein God assailed him with one hand and upheld him with the other. In this conflict, Jacob and the angel of the covenant did really lay arm on arm and set shoulder to shoulder and put foot to foot and used all of their slights and ways as men do that wrestle one with another. The Hebrew word that is here rendered wrestled signifies the raising of the dust because those which did wrestle of old did not only wrestle naked as the manner then was but did also use to cast dust upon one another that so they might take surer hold one of another. Some, from this word abak, do conclude that Jacob and the angel did tug, strive, and turn each other until they sweat again, for so much the word imports. Jacob and the angel did not wrestle in jest, but in good earnest. They wrestled with their might, as it were, for the garland. They strove for victory as for life. But as this wrestling was corporal, so it was spiritual also. Jacob's soul takes hold of God. Jacob's faith takes hold of God. Jacob's prayers take hold of God. And Jacob's tears take hold of God. Certainly Jacob's weapons in this warfare were mainly spiritual and so mighty through God. 2 Corinthians 10.4 There is no overcoming of God, but in his own strength. Jacob did more by his royal faith than he did by his noble hands, more by weeping than he did by sweating, more by praying than he did by all his bodily strivings. Sixthly and lastly, you have the issue of the combat, and that is victory over the angel. Now, Jacob wrestles in the angel's arms and armor and so overcomes him. As a prince, he overpowers the angel by that very power he had from the angel. 
The angel was as freely and fully willing to be conquered by Jacob as Jacob was willing to be conqueror. When lovers wrestle, the strongest is willing enough to take a fall from the weakest, and so it was here. The father, in wrestling with his child, is willing enough for his child's comfort and encouragement to take a fall now and then. And so it was between the angel and Jacob in the present case. Now, in this blessed story, as in a crystal glass, you may see the great power and prevalence of private prayer. It conquers the great conqueror. It is so omnipotent that it overcomes an omnipotent God. Now, this you may see more fully and sweetly cleared up in Hosea 12. It says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. When Jacob was all alone and in a dark night, and but on one leg, yet then he played the prince with God, as the Hebrew hath it. Jacob, by prayers and tears, did so prince it with God, as that he carried the blessing. Jacob's wrestling was by weeping, and his prevailing by praying. Prayers and tears are not only very pleasing to God, but also very prevalent with God. And thus you see that this great instance of Jacob speaks out aloud the prevalence of private prayer. See another instance of this in David. I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. These are all excessive figurative speeches to set forth the greatness of his sorrow and the multitude of his tears. David in his retirement makes the place of his sin his bed to be the place of his repentance. David sins privately upon his bed, and David mourns privately upon his bed. Every place which we have uh, polluted by sin, we should sanctify and water with our tears. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. As blood hath a voice, and as the rod hath a voice, so tears have a voice. Tears have tongues, tears can speak. There is no noise to that tears in secret make in the ears of God. A prudent and indulgent father can better pick out the wants and necessities of his children by their secret tears than by their loud complaints, by their weeping than by their words. And do you think that God cannot do as much? Tears are not always mutes. Cry aloud, saith one, not with thy tongue, but with thy eyes, not with thy words, but with thy tears. For that is the prayer that maketh the most forcible entry into the ears of the great God of heaven. Penitent tears are undeniable ambassadors that never return from the throne of grace without a gracious answer. Tears are a kind of silent prayers, which, though they say nothing, yet they obtain pardon. And though they plead not a man's cause, yet they obtain mercy at the hands of God. As you see in that great instance of Peter, who though he said nothing that we read of, yet weeping bitterly he obtained mercy. I have read of Augustine, who coming as a visitant to the house of a sick woman, he saw the room full of friends and kindred who were all silent, yet all weeping. The wife sobbing, the children sighing, the kinsfolk lamenting all mourning, whereupon Augustine uttered this short ejaculatory prayer, Lord, what prayer dost thou hear, if not these? 
The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Psalm 6, 9. God sometimes answers his people before they pray. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And sometimes while they are praying. And so it follows in the same verse. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Oh, he will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. And Isaiah says in chapter 30, when he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And sometimes after they have prayed, as the experiences of all Christians can testify, sometimes God neither hears nor receives a prayer, and this is the common case and lot of the wicked. Sometimes God hears the prayers of his people, but doth not presently answer them, as in that case of Paul. And sometimes God both hears and receives the prayers of his people, as here he did David's. Now in this instance of David, as in a glass, a mirror, you may run and read, we, we see plainly enough to read, even while running, in other words, the prevalence of private prayer and of secret tears. You may take another instance of this in Jonah. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and thou heardst my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. When Jonah was all alone, and in the midst of many dangers and deaths, when he was in the whale's belly, yea, in the belly of hell, so called because horrid and hideous, deep and dismal, yet then private prayer fetches him from thence. Let a man's dangers be never so many, nor never so great, yet secret prayer hath a certain omnipotence in it that will deliver him out of them all. In multiplied afflictions, private prayer is most prevalent with God. In the very midst of drowning, secret prayer will keep both head and heart above water. Upon Jonah's private prayer, God sends forth his mandamus, and the fish serves Jonas for a, a ship to sail safe to shore. Now, When the case is even desperate, yet then private prayer can do much with God. Private prayer is of that power that it can open the doors of Leviathan, as you see in this great instance, which yet is reckoned as a thing not feasible. You have another instance of the prevalence of private prayer in Second Kings 4, when Elisha was come into the house. Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. Privacy is a good help to fervency in prayer. And he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Oh, the power, the prevalence, the omnipotence of private prayer that raises the dead to life. And the same effect had the private prayer of Elijah in raising the widow's son of Zarephath to life. 
the great prevalence of Moses' private prayers. You may read in the following scripture. It says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Moses, by private prayer, rules and overrules with God. He was so potent with God in private prayer that he could have what he would of God. The same you may see in Nehemiah, compared, comparing one eleven to 2.4-8. And so Luther, perceiving the cause of God and the work of Reformation to be greatly strained and in danger, he went into his closet and never left wrestling with God until he had received a gracious answer from heaven, upon which he comes out of his closet to his friends, leaping and triumphing with, with, we have overcome, we have overcome, in his mouth. At which time it is observed that there came out a proclamation from Charles V that none should be further molested for the profession of the gospel. At another time, Luther being in private prayer for a sick friend of his, who was very comfortable, that is, encouraging and useful to him, had a particular answer for his recovery, whereupon he was so confident that he sent word to his friend that he should certainly recover, and so it fell out accordingly. So Latimer prayed with great zeal for three things, that Queen Elizabeth might come to the crown, second, that he might seal the truth with his heart blood, and third, that the gospel might be restored once again, once again, which he expressed with great vehemence of spirit, all which three God heard him in. Constantine commanded that his effigies, effigies should be engraven, and not as other emperors in their armor leaning, but as in a posture of prayer, kneeling, to manifest to the world that he won more by secret prayer than by open battles. Mr. Dodd, that's John Dodd, the English Puritan minister, reports that when many good people had often sought the Lord in the behalf of a woman that was possessed with the devil and yet could not prevail at last, they appointed a day for fasting and prayer, at which time there came a poor woman to the chamber door where the exercise was begun and craved entrance, but she being poor, they would not admit her in. Upon that, the poor woman kneeled behind the door and sought God by prayer. But she had not prayed long before the evil spirit raged and roared and cried out in the possessed woman, Take away the old woman behind the door, for I must be gone. Take away the old woman behind the door, for I must be gone. And so, by the old woman's prayers behind the door, he was cast out. Oh, the prevalence of prayer behind the door. And thus you see by all these great instances the great prevalence of private prayer. Private prayer like Saul's sword and Jonathan's bow, when duly qualified as to the person and act, never returns empty. It hits the mark. It carries the day with God. It pierces the walls of heaven, though made of brass and iron like those of Gaza. Oh, who can express the powerful oratory the delivery of eloquent language of private prayer. Oh, my. Yes, amen. Amen. Amen, Thomas Brooks. Back in the 1600s saying that, and here in the 20... What century is it? The 21st already. <laughs> He's still saying it, right? I hope that you are blessed by it. I hope that you are blessed. 
look around my website, you'll find some other things that will bless you, I am sure. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on February 3rd, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.